We cannot allow the Chancellor to move this enhanced privacy invasion bill forward. We are all in agreement then. Morning, Senators. You should all consider yourselves to be in my power. As long as everybody behaves, this will be quick and painless. Do nothing, and it will all be over soon. I don't know who you think you are, but I, for one, have no intention of listening to this kind of insolence. All right, then. If you'll all gather at the center of this lovely atrium, my co-workers and I will relieve you of any communication devices. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars Binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. Yes, this is the sound of my voice. Daniel, we are introducing a torrid love affair between a young senator and her Jedi companion today, and Daniel, you are the man to talk to because you are well known for your Don Juan persona and concupiscent soul. I'm sorry, did you, did you send the wrong person the Zoom link for this conversation? <laughs> You met, you met me? When not doing the Star Wars deep dive, and you're in the mood for a romantic film, where do you go? What are you putting on? <laughs> well, I, I've actually thought a lot about this, uh, not just leading up to this recording, but sort of just in general, because I actually really enjoy romantic comedies. Granted, not all of them, because there's some, there is some true garbage out there. But um, I'm going to say, if I'm going to watch a romantic comedy... Rather than just pick a specific one, I will go with a director. Ah. I'm going to argue that anything that Nora Ephron has written or written and directed, if you want a sharp, smart, quirky romantic comedy, Nora Ephron's the way to go. What are, what are examples? So she wrote When Harry Met Sally. Of course. Uh, Rob Reiner directed it, but she wrote it, and it's 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 very funny and very very well made. She wrote and directed Sleepless in Seattle, and she wrote and directed If I Had to Pick a Favorite, which I do, <laughs> You've Got Mail. Really, I would not have put that on your top shelf. It it it's the toppest of the top shelf. It's it's uh, in terms of romantic comedies for me. I remember watching You've Got Mail when I was totally exhausted, <laughs> and I started crying in one of the scenes and I was like trying to wipe the tears away going, why the hell am I crying during this movie? <laughs> There's four or five moments that are, that are super moving. It, the scene where she is um, closing down her bookstore that her, yeah. her mom owned before her. And she kind of looks around at all the memories. And then the last thing she does is um, there's a bell on the door. And the last yeah. thing she does is take that down. And Meg Ryan is just so talented. like, And it's all in her yeah. eyes. Like You can just tell that this is the hardest thing she's ever had to do. But it's just, they talk a lot about coffee in the movie. They talk a lot about bookstores in the movie. Uh, all the supporting characters are weirdos. Um, it's a little pretentious, thanks to Greg Kinnear's character. 
Uh, and it's just it's just a well made smart movie. Like it, it's yeah. it's not one of those romantic comedies where the guy is super hilarious and the funniest person in the world, and the woman is kind of either a, a nerd who takes off her glasses and suddenly is beautiful, or or like a ball buster. It's it's both yeah. characters are really sharp and really smart and really successful. Um, and then they meet each other and, and aren't friends and don't realize that they know each other already. It's, it's, um, I could do a whole deep dive podcast <laughs> into you've got mail is what I'm saying. I'm going to, I'm going to put that back on the, uh, on the queue. Dave Chappelle is in it. Like it's there, there's a bunch of, what? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he works with Tom Hanks at Fox books. Sure. It's got a bunch of Godfather quotes, which we know you uh, love. I thought of, I thought about that when I was thinking about you got mail. I was like, let's talk about what is it with men and the Godfather? Because he tells her you need to go to the mattresses, and she asks, go to the mattresses. She asks her boyfriend Greg Kinnear, and she said, "Honey, do you know what go to the mattresses means?" He goes, "Yeah, it's from the Godfather." <laughs> it's like his uh, Sun Tzu and the Art of War yeah. manual for for business. Yeah, exactly. It's not personal; it's business. He quotes the Godfather, and then. At one point, she quotes Muhammad Ali saying, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, while she's trying to save the bookstore. So, right. lo- lots going on. There you go. When Harry Met Sally was my, was my number three in my top three. It's a good one. Number two was Rocky for me. If I'm putting on, if I actually, I'm never in this mood, but if I were in the mood to watch a romantic comedy, I'm watching Shakespeare in Love. I adore this movie. I think it's really clever. And... Yeah, you're you're giving me the look like, huh? I love that movie. <laughs> I'm just okay. now it is my turn to say I would not have picked that as your top uh, uh, romantic comedy. It's so good though. There are lines in that that are true gold. Another little problem. What do we do now? Well, the show must, you know, go on. Makes <laughs> 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 um, me laugh. Every time. Jeffrey Rush's character in that is actually based on, that's a real guy. Yeah. And some of the accounts of the different playhouses in Shakespeare's actual time we have exist because as as sort of the, the keeper or stage manager of them, this guy took detailed notes. So he's a real guy. And, and we can owe a lot of what we know about Elizabethan era theater to that guy. Yeah. Um, and he said the truest thing that's ever been said about theater when they're like, it all comes together. And they're like, why? How? And he's... No, it won't turn out well. How will it? I don't know. It's a mystery. Well, <laughs> I don't think that I associate Star Wars as a romance, but certainly no. the romantic love element is crucial to the plot of Anakin and arguably is the reason that Empire Strikes Back is a phenomenal film. So if you take romance out of Star Wars, you miss two huge elements yeah. of the storytelling. Yeah, that's true. I know it's the case. I need to I need to sit down with somebody who really loves the sequels <laughs> to talk about the the romance there, but I have a hard time with that. But I have a hard time morally on that one because I feel like that may not be the kind of relationship you really want to cheer for there the, it feels fairly abusive on the and the at the outset but i have friends who really get into that story and eh, i want to i want to hear a better take oh well no I, well unfortunately i'm going to agree with you so it's not going to be a better take it's just going to be <laughs> it's going to be the same take i don't know how old anakin is in clone wars at this point they don't because that's a big time jump and i gotta think about that 
Go ahead. She looks the same. Yeah. He looks very different. True. Yeah, I think that's I mean, right. I guess you age more from nine to four than you would from 14 to 20-something, but... Yeah. The relationship between these two characters, I, I, I agree with you, I think is abusive and strange, and it... With Ray and Kylo Ren. No. Or do you mean these two? With oh. sorry, with Anakin oh. and Padme. Yeah. What are we? Are we talking about the same thing? No. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, with go with Anakin and Padme. I think. By the way, I mean they go way more into some in some of the Clone Wars episodes. It actually does get well. Yeah. He gets real mad and jealous in some of these episodes. That's what. That's what I was going to say. The the power in the relationship shifts obviously when you're clearly the adult. It's, it's still even if she's got the most innocent of intentions it's still a maybe a mistake with 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 uh with padme yeah slash queen amidala but then once it gets into their relationship when they're both adults yeah i think it is properly abusive and manipulative particularly in the episode we're about to talk about there's there's some i think there's some very like some of that there controlling manipulating stuff mm. cool we can talk about that there's gonna be one big scene, yeah. And I think that's as I've thought about Star Wars in general, in in the relation romantic romantic relationships and whether or not they work. I, I separated it into two categories. There's the ones where it doesn't work because the writers forced it and didn't plan it well, mm-hmm. like the Padme Anakin relationship. They they clearly forced that into it because it had to happen, and they didn't do it well, and they 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 got to things quickly. That doesn't work. Yeah. Even though you needed it. Right. Or in the case of Rogue One, when you force a romantic connection yeah. onto something that did not need to be there. Yeah, I agree. In any stretch of the of the imagination. In an otherwise nearly flawless movie for what it's trying to do, there's no reason to bring uh, Cassie and Andor back. Nope. He should have died. She should have died on the beach by herself, and that would have been a lovely send-off. Yeah, yeah, and, and I yeah I agree. And then there's the there's the romantic relationships that are in the films. Like Han and Leia is great as a as a fan to to watch. It's done very well. But you like you kind of look at their relationship and you're like, this yeah. is probably not very healthy. That romance is a thousand percent anger on both sides, just <laughs> like all passion. Yeah, which is fun for like six months to a year. Apparently that relationship didn't last. Right, but the, and then our, you can argue that writing wise, it kind of got thrown out as well. But it had to happen. It got thrown out in what way? Well, it feels like it feels like the writers threw it away. Like you could have you could have gone somewhere interesting with their relationship. The way it looks like Return of the Jedi ends, but then it almost felt like, like oh, you know what should happen is they should have gotten divorced and their kids all screwed up, and that's why he's you know so tortured and dark and what's like, eh. Okay, you didn't need to do that, but I get it. Yeah. I was saying this to Daniel before we started recording, that you need something here in the Clone Wars that really establishes the romantic relationship between Anakin and Padme. Episode 2, I think we agree, doesn't do the job. Correct. Unfortunately, there aren't very many good romantic stories in the Clone Wars either. Nope. And this kind of is the best of the bunch. But if you're going to watch Star Wars from beginning to end, you have to establish that this is something that matters. 
how, how do you get some of the other characters we we've come to know if you don't have uh, the romantic coupling of some of the other characters? Yes, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a doctor, but I do at least know you have to have that. Floney did confirm that there's storks in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've seen them on uh, the Genosian planet. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's in that how the clones get delivered. <laughs> It's test tubes, baby. Well, Camino is what I meant. Damn, Camino. Well, that would have been a good joke had I done it right. It's good, but there, there at least is, in my opinion, there's there's some authentic connection and care here. That's and it's shown. It's it's not just told, but it's it's shown. And if we're just spending a little bit of time in the Clone Wars, anyway, we're spending about ten hours in all of the Clone Wars. That's yeah, great. It's a great place to be. Absolutely. So this episode is Hostage Crisis, which is the last episode of season one. This this doesn't feel like a closing episode. It really feels like a one-off. Yeah. Which is fine when it's episode 12, but weird, yeah, if it's the final episode of your season. It's like, this is where you leave everybody? And that I think that's right. It does feel like a one-off. And fun fact, it's the middle episode in an arc. And they released, you'll laugh at this, they released the other two in season three, the first one and the last one back to back. It was episodes eight and nine. I'll, I'll cover that at the very end. But <laughs> but this does feel like a one-off. And I think that's that's one of the reasons that I grabbed it also is... Sure. It does a lot of the work. I was going to say, as we've said before, would it be Star Wars if it wasn't just screwed up ordering? Entirely I submit right. that it would not be. <laughs> And this episode also introduces what may be the best original villain created in the Clone Wars. Even in an average episode, the villain here shows up. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, you want to get into this? Let's do it. The announcer says, Danger looms despite recent victories on the Outer Rim. Criminal minds plot at the very heart of the Republic. The bounty hunter Cad Bane has assembled some of the deadliest criminals in the galaxy and plans a daring attack to seize members of the Senate. What could be the aim of this despicable act? <laughs> two, <laughs> two big things here. Cad Bane is going to be our villain, and apparently, fiction that it is, there are people storming a Senate building in order to kidnap senators. Man, that is, when you see a good work of fiction, you just have to be impressed that somebody could think of that. Daniel, is the narrator justified in calling an attack on the Senate in order to seize members of Congress really a despicable act? Well, it, one man's despicable act is another man's uh, patriotism and democracy, so it's really hard to say. I think it's safe to say, dear listener... That Daniel and I are both disgusted by those on January 6th who bludgeoned cops in the head with fire extinguishers and impaled cops with metal fence stakes and poisoned Officer Sicknick so that he died of cardiac arrest. And we're disgusted by those acts that caused two cops to die by suicide and caused 38 of them to get infected with corona and saw 140 cops hospitalized some of whom had fingers amputated and heart attacks from repeated tasing, and one lost an eye from a thumb gouge, and several had brain injuries from repeated beatings to the head. So just so you know, 
in this episode, we may be making fun of such people and using condescending language for everything they represent since that event is actually still fairly fresh for us. Yep. And if that's going to offend you, you also might want to skip our next arc, which is about slaveholders. Uh, yeah, if, if you're okay with uh, attacking senators and storming a capital, you are probably... Uh, a little bit upset at the abolition of slavery. And uh, <laughs> science fiction might not be your medium, as it often tends to be allegorical and show us the way we ought to live our lives. So go watch The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, aside from this, we see lots of Clone War battle action. There, There's the arrest of a creature in the narration that looks like he's second cousin to Jabba the Hutt. This character's name is Zero, and we'll see him later in the episode. Uncle. I actually looked it up. This is true. I should have put that. Uh, episode begins over Coruscant, which is the capital of the Galactic Republic, which we're going to talk about in a minute. This is kind of the New York City as a, a feel of the Star Wars universe. And we're in a flying car that looks like it was a futuristic design from the 50s. And a blue alien-looking creature says, Here we go. And he and his henchmen approach the Senate building. And the clone security announcement on the PA says... Attention! Attention! This is a restricted area. No landing is permitted without permission. Violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. You've heard that message when you're trying to park at the airport. <laughs> yes. The, yeah. The white zone is for unloading of passengers only. No, it's the red zone. It is prohibited to park... Are we just going to do that bit from Airplane now? Yeah. It's Red Zone, Betsy. <laughs> just love that. I love the hell out God of that. God damn it, Bob. <laughs> we know what this is about. No, the White Zone is for loading and unloading, and there is no stopping in the Red Zone. The Red Zone has always been for loading and unloading. There's never stopping in a White Zone. Don't tell me which zone is for stopping and which zone is for loading. Lizard Bay, don't start up with your white zone shit again. <laughs> she, she, she says, what was the last line? It's like, it goes it way gets, too far. It gets really serious really quick where she says, this is the, yeah, this, we know, we really know what this is about. You want me to have an abortion. And you're like, what is happening? It's horrifying. It's such a good joke. The Zucker brothers, man, they're, those guys are good at what they do. <laughs> they are. It's so true. It's like, whoa! Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> I got the giggles now. Sorry. <laughs> well, a half dozen Senate guards in blue armor come out. These are like the only soldiers we see that aren't clone troopers. Uh, they are an ancient line that served the Republic for centuries, and they're the Senate Guards. Fun fact, Palpatine will later replace them for a short time with the clone shock troopers, and we see that in Episode 3. But then the shock troopers are going to be replaced by the Royal Guards that we see in Return of the Jedi, which are those dudes in kind of the long... The red robes and the red helmet. I, In terms of characters that were just striking that I will that I will always remember. Like that was mm -hmm. one of the first things as a kid. I remember being real red is my favorite color. And I just remember being really drawn to those characters. And like, that is an incredibly cool costume. I agree. I don't know what it was in my subconscious 
seeing those and just knowing that is a symbol of beauty and power and authority. Yeah. Full stop. And it's just, they don't really do anything, but they're still <laughs> just so iconic. Yeah, they're just uh, walking around, hanging out. Uh, in the sequel trilogy, they're going to be replaced by the Praetorian Guard that we see protecting Snoke in The Last Jedi. Protecting is a generous term. Right. <laughs> it's like, what, did you look away to check a text? What the hell happened? <laughs> well, the lightsaber was right there. <laughs> right. But certainly a t- a, a, a excellent fight scene and choreography. and Oh, yeah. One of the things Star Wars does really well is the, okay, we're going to take this, the function of this character is the stormtrooper, but their look is going to change, and we're going to have some of their their weaponry change, colors change, move their armor around, and make them fresh for this film. And they do that with the guards here. And here they have way more of a ministereth thing going on, where it feels like they're protecting the old city, it seemed to me. Yeah, they still feel like knights almost in a way. Like they're still they're still wearing armor as opposed to robes. Yeah. One of the guards says to this blue alien. Put up your hands. And the blue alien, whose name is Cad Bane, says, I got business with the Senate. How about you fellas step aside? On your knees. Raise your hands. Slowly. Cad Bane says, Son, I wouldn't be so hasty if I were you. And then we see sniper fire from above. The guards look around. Where's that coming from? I see the shooter up in the tower. We see just, you know, a half dozen of these guards just being cut down. Bang, bang, bang. Cad Bane tackles another. And his entourage gets out of the car. And there are commando droids that we've seen in the past. And we see IG units who, for the first time in the binge, but it's worth talking about. Yeah. And there's like pirate looking aliens and the sniper is just taking down soldiers. And we see Cad Bane snap a man's neck. And then the last guard decides to run and he's shot in the back. It's a good villainous move. Yeah. And we're rolling. The sniper, we've seen her before somewhere. She's in episode one during the pod race. Yeah, you're right. Because the whole time I was watching it, I just kept thinking to myself, I recognize this character, and I just could not put my finger on it. Yeah. That's originally where she's from. That's the first time that she's appeared in the Clone Wars, and she's kind of a gun-for-hire kind of character. Yeah. Um, And we'll talk about her in a minute. Bane turns, says to the two commando droids, You two, get these uniforms on and get this platform clear. These commando droids, I didn't realize how much they really like to play dress-up. This has been the plot <laughs> in two of our episodes. <laughs> I thought that too. I was like, what? The droids are going to put on the costumes? of the? All right. Look, you can probably just get the outfits somewhere. I'm pretty sure you like... <laughs> you probably could. If that's your long game, I'm sure yeah. there's a sort of Amazon Prime sort of <laughs> situation in, in Coruscant if you just want to wear the clothes. I suppose if you're infiltrating a very large circular base in Star Wars, grabbing the armor from the dead soldiers, yeah, that's just how it's done. And then you're able to maneuver yeah. around, kind of got some new hope going there. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs> this is the way. A voice over a dead guard's radio is communicating, and it's picked up by a commando droid. Base to platform. What was all that? 
Report. The commando droid mimics the voice and says, Protesters against the war. We've taken care of them. I really enjoyed that too. It's it's I feel like it's rare that you see a droid do that. Like mimic the voice mm-hmm. of somebody else. And it's just such a cool move. Just like the episode rookies that we looked at, the commando droids here function like Terminators. And that's yeah. a move that we see in uh in the first Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger takes over a cop car, kills the cop, the radio comes in, and then he uses that cop's voice on the radio. Clever. Yeah, that's sort of the identity theft type of assassin is really interesting. Because mm. it almost you know, it just makes them harder to spot. Yeah. And just the you know the regular battle droid voice is so robotic. You'd be like, "Hang on a minute, this isn't <laughs> this isn't John." Uh, does that happen to any other places in Star Wars? I'm trying to think of that. Not that I re- I was trying to think, and I don't recall that happening. It's not like C-3PO changes his voice or something like that. Yep, droid is ready. The only time his voice changes is when they're trying to extract his memories. He gets that weird like. The Emperor's Wayfinder is in the Imperial Vault. At Delta 36, transient 936, bearing 32, on a moon in the Endor system. From the southern shore, only this blade tells. Only this blade tells. Witness protection voice. You're like, what is happening? <laughs> That's right. The remaining henchmen get out of another vehicle, and Cad Bane says to them, Finish getting those uniforms on and clear this platform now. Everybody else, follow me. And they move through the large underground docking area. And we're moving. Feels professional. I feel like this team is really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. Which feels rare for Star Wars. I feel like very often... Mm. Very often the bounty hunters are sort of the the teams who might be intending to do ill towards our heroes. Are always kind of portrayed to be a little bit behind the curve. Like you know they're going to lose. Because like, oh look at the easy, stupid, avoidable mistakes they've made. What a bunch of idiots. They're going to lose. Whereas these guys are immediately there's a sniper immediately they're taking out guards immediately they're impersonating uh troops voices they've got the costumes and they're getting in right away which you don't normally see usually there are a lot of pitfalls that would have happened before now and i don't feel like we've seen this kind of band of pirates before yeah and it's Really fun to watch. It's done really well, and the and each of those characters is so distinct and really interesting to look at. It just it's done very well. A lot of the bounty hunters are out for themselves in Mandalorian. All the bounty hunters are really out for themselves. Yeah. Um. In Empire Strikes Back, it feels like it's just a big competition, but here it's like we're gonna. It's here's a bad batch kind of image. It's you have all these people with very different skill sets coming together to get the job done. Well, it, honestly, it made me think of the team in Mandalorian. Which one's that? The the jail heist with Bill Burr and all those guys. You know what? I was thinking of the first season. When everybody's going after Grogu, it's, you know, everybody's got their tracking device. And so it's dog-eat-dog kind of, you know, ethic there. Cad Bane got some leadership here. Save that character for a second. Let's talk about the location. Worth noting where we are. We've mentioned it a handful of times in the binge, Coruscant. But Coruscant is very important. This is the first time we see this planet. It's the capital of the Republic. Lots of backstory. Coruscant is, here's a new term, it's an ecumenopolis, 
which is a planet that is covered by a single city. Huh. Multicultural planet. It is at the hub of all the major trade routes, and it has one trillion citizens. When it gets hot in the summer, the smell of garbage is probably just overwhelming. That's why he wants to get off the planet. Right. That Smart was, guy. <laughs> Anakin here isn't like, let's go down south. He's, nope, let's just get off of the planet. <laughs> right. Go somewhere less dense. Coruscant's going to have a huge history. It's going to be the capital, you know, for centuries. And it's not the capital after the Empire falls. That story is still to be told how they're going to form order, I suppose, in the galaxy. But it apparently becomes a planet being fought over or it, as so many of the planets are in Star Wars. But after the First Order, there's there's wars that break out. Or sort of in history. I mean, anytime, anytime a military might removes a, a sort of a despotic leader, unfortunately, there tends to create a vacuum for other yeah, uh, other people to come in and, and fight over the control of that place. Battling over the spoils. Yep. Second, we have a character introduction. Cad Bane's arguably the best villain created in the Clone Wars. Alongside the Huts, he's going to represent that seedy underbelly of the Star Wars universe for this show. He is voiced by Corey Burton, who likewise does Count Dooku. Ooh, nice. Just a stellar character. Enough small talk. I want my money. I, I'm just curious of your initial thoughts. Like, what, what hit you? Is this your first time seeing this character? Uh, yeah, I've never seen this character before. And it, in the, the sort of wide-brimmed hat kind of looking out from underneath it, my initial thought was that it reminded me of uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly and the mm -hmm. character of uh, Angel Eyes. Like it just had that look, right? That character, but also that actor brought to it. He just was just very good at sort of. He was he was kind of small, but he was good at sort of playing uh, bigger than he actually was. Lee Van Cleef is that guy's name, mm. and he he made that such a menacing, terrifying character. That's it. the The ruthlessness of Angel Eyes comes out at you know in times here. It's a kids show, but Cad Bane you know, already has broken a man's neck and dropped him. Oh, yeah. And I think it is the case that they base the, this character off Angel Eyes, and so that's a good pickup. And I would believe it, too, just because the the lack of allegiance to really anyone. I mean, that's a big part of the Angel Eyes character mm -hmm. uh, through sort of the beginning parts of the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, he's a bounty hunter, but he kills the guy that, spoiler, he kills the guy who hired him at one point and just, yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's a bad dude. Real distinct look. He has, it's again the case that in Clone Wars, there's a handful of things that do have a distinct look in Clone Wars, but for my money, he comes across as having his, there's there's a handful of posters I've seen that are just silhouettes of characters, and he just pops. Mm -hmm. It's the hat, it's how thin he is, and his guns are really elegant. Flashy. Flashy. They sound cool, too. Uh, and then that hat, man. That hat's brim. Ooh, just. Yep. Indiana Jones is jealous of that hat. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's the difference between a cowboy hat and a fedora. Right. <laughs> Two different hats. <laughs> We've talked about bounty hunters and clone cadets, but here we see one who is in action in the Age of the Republic. So we haven't really seen bounty hunters doing their thing. Yeah, we've seen that we've seen them doing other things, right? We we go on to see them training clones and doing things like that, but we don't see them 
bounty hunting. Right. And this fresh. He is highly skilled in the last episode of this arc. This episode is part of is the middle episode in a three piece arc that gets kind of we'll talk about it at the end. It's kind of bounced all over the the landscape of the the seasons. But in the last episode, he is actually holding his own against Obi-Wan Kenobi and another Jedi named Quinlan Voss. And he's showing up with skills and he's clearly running away, but not in a, I can outrun you kind of way. It's more in a, I will battle as I flee kind of way. Yeah. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down shooting. You know that the last season of the Clone Wars got canceled. Yes. By Nickelodeon when, when Lucasfilm got sold and, and they were moving it over to Disney and all the things, there was a arc that was created for this character, Cad Bane, training Boba Fett, a young Boba Fett. Oh. And if you find it online, they have a Western, you know, high noon standoff, the two of them, like things go south. And they've just released some of the, you know, the very low, what would you call this? It's, you know, it's the bones of the animation. Oh, sure. It's yeah. not detailed, but they show you what they're going to do. Real beautiful. It, like they, they go ahead and do the, each of them, you know, waiting to draw their guns. Both of them pull their guns, fire at each other. Both of them go down at the same time. And then you see the helmet of Boba Fett rolling to the side. And the dent that Boba Fett has in his helmet is kind of lit up as though he got shot in the head right there. And so oh. like the dent in Boba Fett's helmet, which is there in Empire Strikes Back and Into the Future, is from this, I want to call it a Western standoff, but I don't know what those are called. So most famously, it's in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly with, with Tuco, Angel Eyes, and Blondie facing each other down. Best Western music that's ever been used. I'm forgetting that composer's yeah. name, but it is... Uh, periodically, I'll listen to it just because just it, it like amps you up. You're like, yeah, something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Isn't that for three people? I know what term you're going to use that yeah. you're being gentle with. I know. I'm, I'm like, how do you talk about that without sounding like you were someone who stormed the Capitol on the 6th? <laughs> it's a duel. Yeah. Is what it is, but it's with pistols. It's a less professional duel. Yeah. There's no 10 <laughs> duel commandments for this one. <laughs> Number eight. Oh, so good. But the only thing on YouTube of that video is somebody who shot it with their phone at like a Star Wars celebration backroom. And, <laughs> you know, they they were showing it just to the, the kids who showed up who were uber Clone Wars fans. And they're like, well, we'll show you this stuff. We never got around to finishing, but it's kind of fun. When Boba Fett's helmet rolls and, and appears with that dent all lit up, the crowd loses their mind. It's right. it's such, you know, nerd energy. It's just wonderful. It made me happy. Yeah, well, yeah, because you that dent is very obvious. And the minute you said yep. his helmet rolls, it's like, well, that's where he got the dent. Yep. It's like the Indiana Jones scar. You know, I mean, it's Harrison Ford's scar. <laughs> yes. But when they show where that came from, you're just like, oh, how great. Yeah, it's clever. Well, anything else on Cad Bane? The, you mentioned already his voice, but I just thought it was such a good, such a really good character voice got created for him because it alludes to these sort of classic Western characters in his voice, but he's also still clearly an alien, so there's sort of a, so just something slightly different about it. Yeah. It just is a very 
well created character. It it never felt like a pastiche to me at any moment. We're like, oh god, here's the big western shoot 'em up character. It mm-hmm. shoehorned into this Star Wars movie. Like it just, it feels so natural and it feels so right in the world that it exists in. And I just, it's I very happy to you know again as I'm doing the binge with our audience. I've not seen him again, so very happy to know this guy shows up a couple more times. Got that mechanical baritone or bass even that Vader has. Mm-hmm. I've taken down so many clones over the years. Once you figure out one, the rest are easy. I don't know that a lot of characters in Star Wars, I'm trying to think, just going through them. I suppose... Gerald Grievous kind of has this, but very unique composition of his voice. It's it's not just mustache twirly sounding. Yep. It's got a, a very intelligent sounding voice behind what he's doing. Just love it. Camera pans to uh, the Senate building in some of the offices near the top. And we see Anakin Skywalker and Padme Amidala in her office. And this is going to be a the scene. And there's lots to say about this scene, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure we will. Anakin begins, he says, Hey, I'm supposed to be on a meditative retreat. We should go away together. I know a place far away from here where no one would recognize us. Yeah, it'll be like we're actually husband and wife instead of senator and Jedi. Ugh. Since it's the binge and since it's the first time that we're introduced to him being married, that at least is giving us information in terms of exposition and setting everything in in motion. It does the bare minimum that you would hope a scene in a television program would do. I agree. (laughs) Amadala says, I I can't, Annie. What do you mean you can't? Oh, it's only two weeks. We'll be back before anyone even notices we're gone. I have to bring this bill before the Senate. It's important. Uh-huh. More important than the way you feel about me? Ugh. <laughs> Padme size. Not more important, but important. The work I do, the work we both do, is in service to the Republic, to protect those who would otherwise be powerless to protect themselves. So I've mentioned this a couple times, but there's a book that they put out called Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark, and they actually do a novelization of this episode it's one of the few episodes that they chose Hmm. i have to bring this bill before the senate she gestures emphatically at her screen it's important anakin loves this about her her commitment in the face of chaos her belief in democracy flawed as it is but he needs more than what they have right now he needs her to understand he decides to switch tactics A Jedi adapts. Uh Uh-huh. He moves closer to her, leans against her desk and raises an eyebrow. A full-on charm assault. More important than the way you feel about me? It doesn't work. They spent, in, in this whole scene is all of four, you know, it's like 30 seconds, but it took up nearly half of the novelization. Like, they really spent a lot of time going through the mindset 
of what's going on in, in Anakin's mind and heart and why he's doing what he's doing here. To protect those who would otherwise be powerless to protect themselves. Of course, but those are ideals. Isn't our love more important to you? You talked about manipulation. Does this feel like manipulation or does it feel like this feels more to me like begging? Well, which in and of itself can be manipulative, right? Like there's, <laughs> I can be, I can be aggressively manipulative to you. Like, do you not care about the whatever? Or I can be like, but look how disappointed I am. This is true. All the goodwill I have bought up towards Anakin really, really depleted itself because of this scene. It will be the case that by the end of his story, he will be very abusive towards this woman. And so again, <laughs> The roots of a unhealthy relationship probably need to get put in here somewhere. I don't know if it's done this way, but yeah, it just it just first of all, two weeks is a long time. I, I dare anybody listening to just not show up to their job for two weeks and see if anyone <laughs> barely notices. They will notice and you will be disciplined. I mean if you're a senator. Well, that's fair <laughs> there, yeah. We start naming names, but yeah. Yeah, raise some money that back on Naboo. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want people to be free, and that's more important than I am? Yes. <laughs> like, that's what this whole war is about. It's not a theoretical construct, the idea of justice and freedom. However, love is not a, is also sort of a theoretical thing. <laughs> like, the, it's... Uh, Just not your favorite. No. Not your favorite Anakin going on here. Absolutely not. Anakin says... But I... No, no, but... To me... There's nothing more important than the way I feel about you. Nothing. Which is also a super hardcore manipulative thing to say to somebody. Like, yeah. but just so you know, there is nobody who loves you more than I do. Mm. Hideous. <laughs> when I talk about manipulative language and over-exaggerations, nobody knows more than I do. Nobody loves you more than I do. Nobody could do this job more than I, better than I could. There have never been more people at this inauguration. <laughs> Anakin, don't be so... Oh, you don't believe me. I didn't say I... I'll prove it. Just watch. Now, I actually like this in theory. When I finished constructing my lightsaber, Obi-Wan said to me, Anakin, this weapon is your life. This weapon is my life. No, Anakin, I can't. A Jedi lightsaber is... Wow, it's heavier than I thought. Can't have a sex scene in a Nickelodeon show. So, so you, but that that lightsaber is looking pretty phallic at this moment. So you just put some single entendre into your. I was I watched this. I, my brain is trained to ruin things. And I, oh man, we we I need to put some seventies music behind yes, that. Yes, so like bass guitar, like. A, <laughs> oh. It's yours. Believe me now. I like the idea of what this lightsaber means here. If he says this lightsaber is my life. On one side in this situation, we've seen them get married in episode two. Mm -hmm. When you get married, oftentimes you do give symbols of your affection to the other person. And, you know, in our culture, that's often rings. I like that this is a... I'm handing you my the the best one that I can think of is the is the wand. Yeah. In in Harry Potter though the thing is put on put on my uh, let me push up my duct taped glasses here and say 
in Harry in the Harry Potter universe, using another wizard's wand, you will right. not get as effective results as as you would. So I mean, it, you could do it, but it would be kind of like, let me show you how much I love you by giving a thing that's not going to work as well when you try to use it. Right. <laughs> well, Here's my gun with the, no bullets. It's the sacrifice of myself, or the sacrifice of the thing that is the greatest tool that I have. I'm willing to to give. Yeah, to show you. And that, I think, in the hands of a much more level-headed, mature character, mm-hmm. this would be a very honorable gesture. However, I feel like because we've just spent a couple of moments listening to him try every tactic in the manipulative child in a relationship uh, playbook sure. to suddenly be like, oh yeah, well I'll prove it. Here's my here's my thing that I care about and am supposed to have. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you. Yeah. It just feels performative. That's the word I was looking yeah. for. I don't I don't doubt that in if we if we think of this as a real person that there's some of that underneath i don't know that that's what the show creators want to communicate but i don't think that's illegitimate this lightsaber is my life is interesting when you think about the uh, where this lightsaber goes with anakin because he's going to lose this lightsaber just after he's cut to pieces and left for dead burning there on the the shore of the on mustafar because obi-wan picks up his lightsaber and leaves Mm mm-hmm that that may have a conversion kind of element to it. Almost like the losing of that directly correlates to the losing of the life that he's known to that point. Yeah. So it, perhaps it's best if we could read some of that into this foreshadowing here. I agree with you. It's super symbolic. It just feels clunky in these moments. Yeah. To take it another step forward, say it is the case that he believes this about this lightsaber. He recognizes it, don't you think, in Empire Strikes Back? Oh, of course he does. His son has just shown up with it. See, this was something I had never thought of. He's wooed Luke to Cloud City. Luke has shown up. He comes out in the darkness, and it's... The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. ignites his father's lightsaber. Vader ignites his red lightsaber. What is going through the heart of Vader in that moment? He has not seen this blade, which is his life. Is there anything there? Because, of course, the way that that lightsaber battle ends is real interesting if this is his life, his Anakin life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because at the end, you'll know this, he he intentionally severs his son's hand holding that lightsaber, and it falls down that shaft. Yeah, it does feel intentional, and I've never thought about it from, from that point of view. Like, I don't want to look at this thing that reminds me of the person I was. Not only, I mean, this this human version of, of myself at that age is in front of me holding the weapon that I used to use that used to be my entire old life. I'm just going to get rid of it. Yeah. It, it, it almost seems like Vader is trying to not have to think about serious, emotionally traumatic things. He'd rather just move on to the next, the next acquisition. How powerful is that? Like just, well, and he also comments on it in, in return of the Jedi when he says, when he says, Oh, 
I see you've constructed a new lightsaber, and he ignites it. He doesn't need to. I think he wanted mm-hmm. to see, you know, I mean, it, he ignites it, and it's green suddenly as opposed to to blue. And, and I think it's, you know, you can, you can read further into that that he knows that the lightsaber is different because he remembers that lightsaber very well. True. And fun fact, Ahsoka's blades are green. There may be. Oh, that's right. If we want, if we wanted to put it in there, there may be some humanity awakening in in Vader in that moment. Anakin losing his saber on Mustafar, and Luke losing the saber on Cloud City, and then being invited, just as Vader was invited to go further into the darkness. That's the pitch that Vader makes to Luke: is go with me further into the darkness. You don't know the power of the dark side. You know what I mean there. I do, yeah. That, that that may be a a parallel. It's in losing that blade both times. Anyway, on the flip side, I suppose Kylo Ren gains the blade and in some ways gains his humanity. I so wish they had pulled that off better. I love Anakin's yeah. sword, and it was used to such great effect in Force Awakens in some ways. And I just I was really hoping that they would push further into the symbolism. But they did not. Instead, they they took all they took the lightsabers and all of our hopes and dreams, and they buried them on Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the thing that really was powerful for me in this moment. If you take that language, this lightsaber's your life. That's actually a it's an episode two quote uh, that he's quoting in the Clone Wars here, but really emphasizing that with uh, yeah both those scenes the. Revenge of the Sightsaber falling down the shaft in uh, Empire. I, I was really taken by that. We see the IG droid rounding a corner with Bane, the sniper, the duck, and the pirate. I don't know what that, that duck is named Robonino. Robonino? I haven't ever said that out loud. Uh, apparently, according to the Wikipedia, this, this character looks like a mix between Donald Duck and a fish pirate. I didn't know how else to describe him, but that's, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, he's <laughs> that's sort what of we a, got. Uh, sort of a Howard the Duck's more aquatic sibling. Yep. IG units have laser sighting, and they come around a corner. Again, a lot of Terminator going on sometimes mm-hmm. with these droids and the commando droids. Uh, they see a security guard who yells, "Stop!" <laughs> filled with computer towers and see four droids that are working, two of which really look like C-3PO and R2-D2. Mm-hmm. IG unit shoots them very violently. I love that. That It's like, oh, here are ca- characters that we connect to, that we love, that have been part of our story, and just bam, bam, bam. <laughs> yeah. And then the one, I mean, there, there's one droid in the room that's like, oh, God, like, like just, yeah. d- just sadly meets its doom, and you just, you're like, just another case for the the argument that we've made many times already on this show. Mm-hmm. Droids have feelings. <laughs> they have feelings too. And he's shot in the back just like that. Yeah. Just like that royal guard was. Cad Bane says to Robinino, You know what to do. I'll figure it out. You better not fail me, bubble brain. See, that's a... Donald Duck kind of term. <laughs> He's not wearing pants either, so it's <laughs> in the Donald Duck family. <laughs> Little sailor top, no pants. 
don't worry. I'll have the power off in no time. The rest of you come with me. Man, cut to business. It's again, I love that. Here's the job. Let's go to the next thing. Here's the job. Go to the next thing. It just shows professionality. And a lack of connection too, right? Like, I mean, this is a guy mm, who's on his yeah. team who's gotten him in there so far. And rather than say, guys, just I want to take a minute and just say, we... In the last 10 minutes, look how far we've come. We we managed to best those guards. We got in here. We took this computer room. And man, despite the fact that you're like a weird fish duck that doesn't wear pants, I know you're going to be able to get us into these computers. So I just want to say thank you. You mean a lot to me. Now let's all move on here. Like it just like this. It, and that's why he's such a good villain. Yeah. Everything has gone right for him at, up to this point, but he's still horrible and dismissive to the people on his team. We've said this in the past, the the quote about villains being those who in a movie or a those in fiction who know the most and care the least. And often are the ones who are in control of a situation. <laughs> to Anthony Hopkins said about playing they asked him about playing Hannibal Lecter, and he said one of the nice things about being these villainous characters is they're no longer bound by the laws of likability. Ooh. So you really get to do these sorts of character things with them that are that are detestable, but like just great, rich character moments. Yep. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. That was an improv. That wasn't. That wasn't in the like. He he did that, and Jonathan Demi came up to Hopkins on the set and was like, "You are sick." <laughs> <laughs> Gonna win a Best Actor for that. <laughs> Rightfully so. Cut back to Anakin and Padme kissing in her office. Padme hears people coming in. One of which is C three PO, who has a excellent ability. To mess up romantic scenes. Just ruins every moment he's he's near. In fact, first time that we see C3PO in the in the binge. So oh. I'm gonna save C3PO for later to do a deep dive because he says only things kind of off screen and he's just kind of there. Yeah. But uh since he's standing in front of us, you got a hot take on C3PO? I really like C3PO, but I'm able to recognize that I feel like when he's serving his function, he he just seems like such a low level bureaucratic type of a thing yeah. where where he's got one job and it's really important to him and it's not important to you, but he needs you to know how important it is. <laughs> and he needs to explain the things to you to the to the point where like so many people like that in our own lives, at the moment where Han Solo just goes, Switch him off, will you? And they just turn him off. Yep. Like I, that's such that tells you everything you need to know about that character. Well, both of those characters technically, but specifically C three PO. So true. I'm trying to think of heroic C three PO moments. I'm sure there is one. You know what he does is he elevates peril whenever. <laughs> that's like his function in these movies is to make you feel a little bit more tense. Like you were gonna feel tense, but when he says, you know asteroid fields or <laughs> these are the odds or whatever or just if, if 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 something bad was about to happen or like you were driving down the street and all of a sudden it started to get really cloudy and it rained and the person in the back seat just leaned forward and was like we're doomed yeah <laughs> right and, would never fact, drive anywhere with that guy again 
Fun fact about C-3PO, he's the very first person to speak in all of Star Wars. And that's what he's saying. He's on Leia's ship, and he's talking about how terrible things are going. Did you hear that? They shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure. This is yeah, madness. He, he also just kind of points out things everybody already knows. He just says it in, he just says it in such a fatalistic way. You know, just in, in a way that heightens the... We're doomed. There'll be no escape for the princess this time. What's that? The Rancor? Yeah. Ex- yeah. Yeah, we, we, we heard the three-story <laughs> tall monster. Yeah, we don't need you to drive it home. <laughs> or the one moment where, I, I can't remember, there's a moment where he also says, just offhanded, we seem to be made to suffer. Yes. Like he's just he's just that guy that's always negative and always discouraged and uh, always needs to remind you <laughs> that you too should also be discouraged because we're doomed. I'm a bad Star Wars fan right now just to confess something that I have not seen Hidden Fortress or Seven Samurais, but apparently the character is based on, on one of the characters from... From Seven Samurais. Kurosawa. Kurosawa movie. I have seen that. I'm just not remembering that character. I'll tell you what, by the time we do the deep dive, I will have watched those. <laughs> I will I'll give you a sol- solemn pledge. Say, I'll do a rewatch, yeah. Last fun fact about Anthony Daniels, he's the only actor to be in every single episodic film. And, I mean, he's voicing him in this, too. So, I mean, he's he's everywhere. I believe he also does C-3PO in the ri- a lot of the rides and attractions. So, I mean, that guy yeah. is just... That's that's the gravy train, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, can you come in and get your C-3PO on? He, when I'm, uh, he ha- Anthony Daniels has a very brief cameo in the film The Life of Brian. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, There's a I'll find that. moment where Brian jumps into jumps off of a building he's being chased by centurions and he jumps off of a building and he gets picked up by a spaceship mm-hmm. and the spaceship crashes back down to the ground in Judea and Brian staggers out of there and this man who's standing very rigid and still in this robe just looks at him and says oh you lucky bastard and it's it's <laughs> Anthony Daniels and they put him in there specifically because Terry Gilliam loved Star Wars and and wanted a Star Wars moment in the movie and none of the other guys did that's that's wonderful well actually there's a second character we need to introduce and that is Senator Bale Organa from the planet Alderaan he is actually one of the principal creators of the Rebel Alliance, which mm-hmm. we see in Rogue One. We'll see this in Rebels. Has a very famous adopted daughter. And uh, he dies when the Empire blows up his planet. That Like you do. Didn't think about this, but Princess Leia is watching her adoptive dad die while standing next to her biological father. But hey, I mean, who among us has not been in that situation? It's the old, uh, the old watching my home planet and adoptive parents die while standing next to my evil dad. Uh, played in the film by the the one and only Jimmy Smits. Truth, I, he was on like one of those daytime talk shows. I think it was before Rogue One came out, 
and they and they said, so you know, uh, he was promoting some other movie. He said, so are you going to be in this new Star Wars that's coming up? And he just had no poker face, just none at all. <laughs> like he was supposed to not say anything about himself or his character, and you just knew the answer immediately. It was like, no. Star Wars. Haven't, haven't talked to those guys in years. <laughs> right. He's. I always forget how good of an actor he is. Yeah, talk about. Until you think about his work in things like that season of Dexter that he's in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is he is such a formidable opponent for Dexter in that, that season yeah. on the that scene on the roof where where he gets in Dexter's face and threatens him. How's that little bride of yours gonna feel when she has to start answering some questions? Because she's gotta wonder where you go, what you do, who you really are. She knows everything she needs to and it's gonna stay that way or that ring might show up someplace very inconvenient. I am the last person you wanna f because I will you back. That is an amazing performance. Yeah. You're like, oh right, he's not just the guy from NYPD Blue. He's he's yeah. a very talented actor. I haven't really thought of I I assume he's a Latino actor, yeah. Yeah. I mean, could you name five great Latino actors? Not that not to say that there aren't great Latino actors. It's just there there aren't a lot of folks who are getting gigs. Not not at the point a lot of these things are being made unfortunately. I I do think that's Yeah. I do really think and and really hope that that's starting to change i think you know diego luna in in rogue one he's he's really good um true like i said jimmy smith's um the the film that's about to come out in the heights which is a film version of lin-manuel miranda's musical in the heights that he wrote before yes. he did hamilton yep. that is all about the washington heights area of of new york is chock full of brilliant uh, Latin American actors that yeah. you have seen. In, uh, Jimmy Smits is in it, like I said. Uh, Anthony Ramos plays the main character. He was in Hamilton as well. He played, mm -hmm. um, he was he was Hamilton's son. Uh, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Just all of these really wonderful people that, unfortunately, most people maybe haven't heard of that I think are going to get the opportunity to be seen. And, and yeah. people just need to wake up and start putting... <laughs> Putting people that aren't white and stuff. The other one I was thinking was uh, Montalban. Oh, Ricardo Montalban. Fantastic actor. Yeah, he's a talented guy. Just, I mean, Star Trek Two works because that guy shows up. What do you want with us, sir? I demand of you. You are in a position to demand nothing, sir. I, on the other hand, I'm in a position to grant. N naked. He's amazing in the Naked Gun. Oh yeah. He totally um, is. No, he, he sells. His commitment is is so good. Anyway, props. Jimmy Smits. Thank you. I apologize for my abruptness. Oh, Senator Ogana. How good to see you. What is it? Senator Philo has called a meeting in the lobby before we vote on the enhanced privacy invasion bill. It's a very 2000-ish kind of political topic there. Mm-hmm. Right. Privacy invasion bill. Hey, comedy. <laughs> sort of. We must hurry if we are to stop the vote. Coming, Senator Amadala? Uh, of course. And she follows C-3PO and Organa out, and she has Anakin's lightsaber in her sleeve. Hey, Daniel. Yes, Jeff? 
You a Die Hard fan? I enjoy the movie Die Hard. I, however, am not a uh, Die Hard Die Hard fan. (laughs) 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 I don't know that I've ever heard that before. That seems so obvious when you say it. (laughs) I don't think I have either, which is sorry that I spoke it into the world. Lots of Die Hard going on in this. Yes. Spouses fighting, terrorists who show up, very professional, infiltrate with bombs, knock out everybody with, you know, kind of silencers and the rest, take control of the computers. John McClane doesn't have shoes, and Anakin Skywalker doesn't have a lightsaber. I think I said, doesn't have hands. <laughs> he actually beats an IG unit with one of his hands, and I was like, man, that would hurt. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, use the metal hand. <laughs> using that. Winter, using the winter soldier arm. <laughs> and the question in both of these is, you know, can the hero save his spouse from a highly charismatic thief? Yeah, it's just the Die Hard episode. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a lot of fun callbacks in this. I don't know if there's any thoughts there, but I, I liked the pair. I, I mean, I'm sure it's the case. The beats are are beat for beat, so I'm just I'm sure that they're just ripping. Oh, and then we do this. Oh, and then we do this. It also just feels like it hits so many of like hostage movie tropes yeah. as well, where it's like, well, they've got to secure this room, and you've got to figure out a way to separate these people, and mm-hmm. one, you know, one person probably shouldn't have a way to defend themselves, and there should be some powerless authority figures. Yeah, I just think it, it, it hits all those beats of a good hostage film. Yeah. We should talk about hostage films. I like hostage films, and this is obviously a hostage story. What, you got any favorite uh, hostage films? I do. Uh, my favorite hostage movie came out in 2001, and it also stars Bruce Willis. Come on. Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, and the great Kate Blanchett in a film called Bandits that is oh, sure. a ton of action, and and for my money, so funny. Barry Levinson. Yeah. Uh, it's about these two guys that they, they, they break out of jail and become known as the sleepover bandits. And they go into the to the bank and they rob banks by uh, finding out who the bank manager is, going to their home the night before, staying the night with them, having a meal, getting to know the family. Can I help you? Oh, I'm sorry. We're here to rob your bank. And they're so charming and they're so funny and they're so personable that they... In the first time they do it, like they befriend the kids of the yep. family. Billy Bob Thornton's helping the little girl cut up her food, and uh, they're just chatting and sort of in- ingrained themselves in the lives of these people. And then uh, they sort of take Kate Blanchett's character hostage. She ends up falling in love with both of them. So it's just love triangle. Yeah, yeah, and just uh, best uses of two Bonnie Tyler songs. Uh, holding out for a hero and total eclipse of the heart are in that movie <laughs> and uh, at the hands of Kate Blanchett who yeah. who belting them is yeah she is never not amazing it's true i'm a big kate blanchett fan she can do it all she can do that she can be the evil sister of thor she can be an elf god she's just the best after die hard it seemed like there was just over and over again these movies of hostage you know, terrorists take over something kind of movies. Speed is this sort of movie. You know, you take over the bus. Or Ugh. my favorite is Toy Soldiers. I love Toy Soldiers. It's just can't, like, popcorn, but you take over a boarding school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's like the darker side. Like Munich is a hostage movie. Argo is was one. Yeah, we already mentioned Silence of the Lambs is a kidnapping story in essence. 
Taken. Inside Man is a is a. Ooh, I like Inside Man. Great performance. Also, Jodie Foster. So there's. <laughs> she, she's getting these kidnapping films. Uh, do you see Captain Phillips? This is my boat now. I'm the captain. <laughs> yeah. God, change happens now. Here we go. We see 12 soldiers marching down the hallway, turning into a room. He hits a button on a thermal detonator. We hear the ticking going. Throws it into the room. Boom. Tips his hat. Door blows open and out. And I love how they showcase the villainy in this show. It's, it's again, this is for kids on Nickelodeon. And they're, they're just being hardcore. This one soldier is crawling out, clearly injured, asks for help. Her name is Aura Singh. Pulls out a pistol and just shoots him in the head. Yeah, they're they're not here to play around. Ugh. Now let's go talk to some senators. Cut to the Senate chamber, which looks uh, quite a bit like I think it even is re- referenced as kind of an atrium. So mm-hmm. again, a lot of diehard going on here. We cannot allow the Chancellor to move this enhanced privacy invasion bill forward. We're all in agreement, then. Morning, Senators. You should all consider yourselves to be in my power. As long as everybody behaves, this will be quick and painless. Do nothing, and it will all be over soon. Those are two sentences that I don't want to hear from anyone. (laughs) Other than maybe going to the dentist. (laughs) Your ca- your insurrection. You don't want to hear that. That is the I'm the captain now moment. It's uh, what happens when the hostages initially realize, oh, we just got taken over, and these guys don't. You know what this scene reminded me of was uh, Dark Knight. Mm. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. When when the Joker comes to. Bruce Wayne's flat. They shoot the gun, and then one of the senator it's actually Senator Patrick Leahy, who's the actor. <laughs> he says, We're not intimidated by thugs. You should be. <laughs> you remind me of my father. <laughs> it is that move. Because one of the senators says, I don't know who you think you are, but I, for one, have no intention of listening to this kind of insolence. He's the third guy in a row that's got shot in the back. Yeah, they. It was if Bane had come into the Senate chambers with some buffalo horns and his face painted, then maybe this guy would have taken a moment to probably would have been panic. a lot kinder to him and been willing to hear him out. Stole some mail off of Queen Amidala's desk. <laughs> Those zip ties aren't for garbage. To bind power cables together. You got droids all over the place. You want us to trip? <laughs> all right, then. If you'll all gather at the center of this lovely atrium, my co-workers and I will relieve you of any communication devices. I see five of them here in the room. If we... What are you going to do? It's not like we carry weapons. Then we cut to the office of Palpatine. Chancellor Palpatine, who we have met, 
has a senator walk into his room and he says, What is it, Senator Frita? Orn Frita is a very unhealthy looking Twi'lek. I think you should see this. Cad Bane appears on a hologram. Sorry to bother you, Chancellor, but I've taken control of the east wing of your Senate building, and the occupants are now my hostages. If you care about them, I'd advise you to free Zero the Hut from your detention center. You should know that the Republic does not take kindly to such threats. If you have attempted such a foolhardy action as to kidnap a senator, I assure you that it will be met with appropriate force. Anything, any thoughts on that? I mean, it's, it's just nice to see sort of somebody holding a very high office being justifiably angry when <laughs> someone threatens senators. And again, this show is clearly a work of fiction. That would never have to happen in real life. <laughs> the Pentagon is actually just a few blocks away from the White House. It's, it's, I bet you the phone call wouldn't even take that long. Yeah, you probably send a text. <laughs> Cut back to Ro- Robinino. He's kind of got that uh, the 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 humorous character in Die Hard, who was the computer guy, mm-hmm. who's just always cracking wise. That's this guy, yeah. Oh yeah, the the man in the chair character. Yeah, <laughs> the chair on the on the on the wicked side. This to do it. Then he powers down the whole building. Yeah. Then we see Anakin, who's in a hallway, and it goes dark. And he says, "What's going on? I'm in control." I make the rules now. And then Palpatine, for it's the only time I can remember in all of Star Wars, looks like this was not part of his plan. Yeah. And I've, that actually elevates Bane huge, you know? Yeah, the guy who's been pulling the strings of everything and fooling everybody mm-hmm. is completely taken aback by this. I'm sure it's the case that Palpatine could do something if he really had to, but this just, it, he looks more frustrated than anything. Yeah. He tries to get out of his office. On free tar, help me with this door. It's no use, sir. Someone's gotten to the central control panel. They've triggered the security system. The Senate buildings have sealed themselves. Palpatine then goes over and speaks into a mic. This is Chancellor Palpatine. There is an emergency at the Senate building. Jedi Council, come in. Is anyone there? That's no use either, sir. They've cut off all communication with the outside. And we cut back to the atrium. And I keep saying cut, 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 because it's like Die Hard. This was apparently a big thing with Die Hard in terms of its originality, was how fast the cutting and editing process was. And they do this throughout this episode. It's just you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Almost it feels like in a, maybe in a way to like build sort of tension and anxiety. Yeah. They do it with the cutting and they do it with the music. There's like a Christopher Nolan music thing going here with lots of ticking sounds. And I don't know, the music just, I'll put a sample in, really reminded me of stuff that you see in, in Dark Knight and in Dirk yeah. Dunkirk. Yeah, there's just like a yeah. There's a real just sense of impending doom. You don't get to see too much of what goes on in an area or or, or who is doing something. So we're back in the atrium, and Cad Bane says, "Hand over your communication devices, please." I can't let them search me. What? Why not? I have something they must not find. What is it? And then Cad Bane comes over to Padme, and again, it's a Dark Knight move. 
Well, hello there, little lady. And who might you be? Well, hello, beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know? A lot of Christopher Nolan, I think, going on. Well, and just... I mean, again, just movies and stories in general. There's the yeah. the eloquent presenting is not threatening mm-hmm. chivalrous villain that you know isn't. The dragon's going to sweet talk you before he eats you. Yeah. It's, it's Gary Oldman as Dracula. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's all these characters just they seem really charming and then they're not. <laughs> Padme sticks her chin out. I am Padme Amidala. Senator from Naboo, and I demand that you release us immediately. The Galactic Senate will not treat with terrorists. And then we see Anakin sneaking into position above the atrium, and Cad Bane says, Ain't you awful young and pretty to be a senator? And Padme's eyes go up to Anakin, and Bane turns immediately and fires. And Cad Bane recognizes Anakin, and he says, Skywalker, after him! I'm not sure how he does. I need to look that up. But I, and they apparently know each other from somewhere. Oh, see, again, I, I, I just assumed there was something justifying that he knew who he was. But no. OK, <laughs> Didn't, I'd, I'll, I'll need to look it up. I, I, I wanted to say this was a first appearance, but. Well, he's clearly been I mean, he clearly has been watching these people and knows when the guards shift and he knows everything else. So it might just. Yeah, it might just from that alone. It might stand to reason that he just knows who it is. Ah. He knows who these people are because, you know, if, you, if you're going to overthrow a government, you need to have a plan. There you go. What well, one would assume, at least. I mean, you can't just show up on one, on a day like an angry mob with no real forethought or insight or, you know, tactical understanding or basic intelligence. That would be idiotic if that happened ever. Maybe what you should do is film it in all of your buddies. Uh, that, how could, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, also, if you were to do that, like, maybe not wear a mask, like, to, to, to not spread COVID to other people, right. or just hide your face if you're going to commit crimes. <sighs> Skywalker starts running with his comm link, and he's trying to communicate. Hello. Come in. Anyone there? Turns a corner and sees two of Bane's men. And again, since he doesn't have his lightsaber, I suppose it's the case that he can't block Laser bolts. Hasn't learned that whole Kylo Ren mm. catch a bolt in the air thing yet. Right. There's an IG unit in Shahan Alama. In Shahan Alama, who's this pirate-looking alien, and they begin chasing him into a large, dark hallway with lots of open doors. I like this scene. It's a dark scene. They're using flashlights. End up walking in. <laughs> they turn a corner, and there's a Betty bot who we've talked about in Rookies, who looks like she's been caught in her underwear. And you know what, Daniel? Wouldn't be a good 80s action flick if you didn't walk in on somebody naked. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) As I watched this, that moment happened, and I literally said out loud, what what is that droid doing (laughs) in there? What purpose does that serve? Happens both in Die Hard and and Dark Knight. There's the, uh, the Joker comes into Bruce Wayne's flat, Bruce Wayne comes in for the panic room and two people are banging in his bedroom and they say, you got a panic room. <laughs> and then and then in Die Hard, there's two people, you know, doing it in an office and the lady gets ripped out, you know, and there's your boob scene for, for the for the kids. And <laughs> for the kids. 
for the kids. What every what every children's film should have is sort of a weird compromising Porky's scene. <laughs> every director says, you know what? Rentals for middle school boys, it's gonna it's gonna give us another ten percent. Yeah, <laughs> just, just for this. A bunch of kids are gonna check this out from the library in tw- in twelve years. <laughs> I saw, I actually did see Die Hard for the first time at middle school. Like we watched it in middle school. <laughs> I went to a, a good job DPS. <laughs> the IG unit is hunting Skywalker and watching this. I can imagine Filoni using this character seeing what it could do when you actually animate it and just sticking that right in his pocket saying someday when I get to bring this character to real life, it's going to be amazing because, because he's doing all sorts of things we, we don't see to just march forward and destroy. They're amazing. Yeah. And very useful. I don't know how good they are. I don't know how good they'd be in other circumstances, but if you just need someone to just spin around <laughs> shooting, they're they're you're not going to find better than that. They're apparently fantastic at childcare. Well, if you reprogram them, if you <laughs> in serving yeah. tea, yeah, they make excellent uh, uh, domestic uh, care providers. There is something about the IG Eleven death at the end of Mandalorian season one that has that Terminator Two feel. That was a very nerdy statement that I just gave there. But no, because it's because it's a a robot that has been reprogrammed to care yeah. about human beings slowly dying in molten <laughs> I guess, lava. Yeah. It is it is exactly Terminator. I missed half of those, and that's it's exactly a, right. It's a thumbs up away from from Terminator. I just love everything about IG-11. Just love everything about that character. And uh, I I just see so many of their, uh, you know, kind of the rough draft going on mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And it's not even rough. Like, uh, this, this fight scene is fantastic between he and Anakin. Actually, we haven't got to the fight scene yet, but it will be amazing. Uh, Skywalker enters a room and hotwires communication. This is General Skywalker. Chancellor Palpatine, can you hear me? My dear boy, I'm glad to know you're there and all right. What is going on down there? I hear it too. Coming from up ahead. Palpatine says, He sealed the entire building. Nobody can get in. We cannot get out. It's up to you. You have to get to the power control room and turn off the security seal. The hunters turn into the room where Anakin then hides and he uses the Jedi mind trick have two more floors to check come on we've got two more floors to check and Anakin sneaks out eh, it's just kind of playing with the tools you got it's a, it's a standard but it works yeah I do think there's something to say the the classic stuff always works you don't need to sort of always reinvent really creative cl- like how many times did Captain Janeway use the I'm not really here I'm a hologram trick <laughs> in, in Voyager because it works one of the things that Filoni does really well is he uses the the tools, the abilities on the table in new and clever and creative ways, as opposed to inventing new Jedi powers that kind of yeah. expand. You, eventually, you're going to, you know, it, it was the case that Superman could jump over a building, and now he can fly around the planet you know a thousand times and spin it backwards and you know it's 
yeah. eventually you kind of you get to a spot where it's like, okay, too much. It's hard to keep one-upping. If you've created characters with fantastical abilities, I feel like at some point it's probably hard to keep one-upping what they can do. Yep. Then Anakin sneaks out. We see Shahan again who says, You take downstairs, I'll go up. We'll meet on the other side. IG unit agrees. And Anakin jumps out, punches him in the face with his metal hand. And here's the stellar fight scene. This is a very brutal fight, too. It's, again, Bruce Willis in a stairwell wrestling that Russian ballet dancer. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, I'm going to cook you, and then I'm going to eat you. <laughs> you know, kind of. Yep. That kind of ferocity going on. And he beats this droid to death, which I imagine is is quite tricky. Yeah, separates the head from, I mean, like disconnects the head from the body because later the, the other bounty hunter picks it up and looks yeah. at it. Decapitation right there. Yeah, without a blade, like yeah. punched its head off. <laughs> punched its head off. I saw that in a Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> they were looking for something new for Jason to do, and that's what they did. Yeah. <laughs> Shahan finds the IG unit. No lightsaber cuts. Interesting. And we cut back to the atrium. It's again, it's another diehard move where, you know, Hans Gruber is hanging in the atrium. His henchmen are out there trying to hunt down McLean. And they're bringing back dead bodies saying, you know, ho, 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 I've got a machine gun. (laughs) Yeah. What happened? Where's the droid? The droid's gone. But there's good news. The Jedi's unarmed. What? It doesn't look like he has his lightsaber. Go. Bring him back to me. And now, more henchmen are sent out. This time the the sniper and Jahan go hunting. We then see Anakin run into Robinino as he's leaving the computer area. Fish duck says, Oopsie. And Anakin gives chase. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Like, uh, uh, this again, there's a lot of quick cuts here. But I like how they, how do you subdue Anakin Skywalker? Right, yeah. You got to make it believable. And for the most part, I think they do. Whatever this lightning gadget is, I need to look up the name for it. But how do you incapacitate a Jedi kind of weapon? You, you do it from behind their back when they don't know that it's about right. to happen. Lots <laughs> of attacking people from behind here. Which, and I think that's a great technique because, it, I mean, it just shows you that, you know, cowards shoot people or attack them when their back is turned. It, it's, it, shows mm-hmm. until, it shows you everything you need. You don't have to spend a bunch of time being like, man, this team of bounty hunters are mean. How mean yeah. are they? Boy, they're the kind of people like that you don't need any of that crap because you've seen every single because you've seen every single one of them shoot someone in the back or attack yep. them from behind you're like oh okay right they're they're awful people and they're cowards back to Padme who says to Organa the lightsaber I've got it what why do you have a Jedi's lightsaber the question is whether we should try and get it back to the Jedi Knight or use it ourselves and Bane shoots in the air. Everybody quiet. I've got a call to make. 
Again, Joker on uh, Bruce Wayne's flat. Also, how noisy could they have all been being? Like, come on, really? Like, There's only five of them. Yeah, they couldn't have been that loud. You just you just felt the need to scare some people. Does not have kindergarten teacher skills, that Cad Bane. But neither did Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and he did fine. Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Bane appears in a hologram in Palpatine's office. So here's what you're going to do. First, you're going to make a pardon disc. You can give it to your friend there. Me? My ship will come and pick him up and take him to the prison. Once Zero has been released and is handed over to me, then your associate will be released. Understand? Oh, I do. But I feel it is my duty to warn you that you will end up paying for this outrage. I can live with that. Badass line. Like, that's actually another diehard line. Just realized it. How many hostages are we going to take out on the roof? Say 20%. I can live with that. That's oh. one of the things that they're saying when they're flying in the helicopters. That's right. It is a great line, though. It, yeah. I mean, we know... That this is the person you probably don't want to get on your bad side. Cad Bane doesn't know that. He thinks he only is he the uh, the chancellor over the entire galaxy. Wait, Chancellor Palpatine is somebody else? <laughs> I didn't say that. Who else could he be? Could be the case that he's got some skills. Not only is he a great crocheter, he's also got some wicked mad Sith warrior power. This is the first I'm learning of this. <laughs> we'll talk more about that in the episodes <laughs> to come. Wow. I should do some interneting. <laughs> Cut to Anakin, who's outside a locked room. Come on, open the door. It won't hurt you. And then from behind him. Well, well, what have we here? And Shahan aims a blaster at Anakin, who pulls it quickly away from him with the force. This is a great move. Then we hear a sniper rifle click. Shahan hears it. He ducks. And then Aura Singh fires at Anakin, knocks the gun away. Anakin realizes he screws up. As she fires at Anakin, the door behind him then opens up. And Robonino jumps out with a weapon that shocks and incapacitates Anakin. I love the beats of that. That's just great action scene. Yeah, just one right after the other. Aura says, Tie your little pet up. We'll bring him to Bane. Here's the pardon disc. Door opens, and IG unit steps in. Let's go. Why do I have to go to the jail for this? Move it. Yeah, this guy sucks. This guy. <laughs> Sorry, Senator. But everyone has a job to do. <laughs> Is Palpatine sorry here for no. Senator Frita? <laughs> Absolutely not. Even a even a guy who I guess apparently could be evil, which again, news to me, first time I'm ever learning this. <laughs> even a guy who apparently could be evil is like, just stop complaining and do your job. Which again, just a just a crazy work of fiction on on all these people's parts that you would have senators that just like, oh, I don't want to do anything while I'm here. I don't imagine that ever happening. Cut to outside. And again, lots of Christopher Nolan, Dark Knight style music playing. Lots of drive. Great tension. IG unit says, hurry up. 
IG unit loads the senator into a ship and they fly away. And we're back to the atrium and we see Anakin unconscious being dragged in. And Bane says, Young Skywalker, not so impressive without your lightsaber, are you Jedi? Toss him in with the others. the IG unit. 3D, are we on schedule? Arriving at the prison now. The IG unit forces the senator out with a long rifle and a set of clones say, Unlock the doors! A large prison door opens and a purple and yellow hut steps out. And he sounds nothing like the hut we're familiar with. Yeah, seriously, like this is outsteps a Tennessee Williams character. Like, just so ridiculous. The clone who's leading him out knows it. And that, it's a total aside. He goes, oh, my God. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do declare mighty warm. Oh. And this is Zero the Hut. Jabba the Hutt's uncle, I believe. Rival for power, apparently, with Jabba for control of the Hutt clan. Which is hard to believe. <laughs> there is, in the final episode of this arc, there is the, the gangster fight takes place for control. The, the way that Jabba and he are fighting for control is, is very much a back and forth, back and forth. And it's, real, it's interesting. It's 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 worth watching. Um, yeah. It did not make our cut because it doesn't add to the big stories that we're telling. But it's beautiful. It, it was really enjoyable. If you like the huts and want to do the again see the underbelly stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, that's great. That would be uh, uh, season three, episode nine. By the way, in good news, Zero's not really a a character we're spending a whole lot of time on. <laughs> no deep dive. Zero deep dive. Cut back to the Senate building. Bane says, Go and get the, the parking Cat Bane's men placing bombs on the pillars that surround the atrium. Here's a diehard image. It's a Joker image, too. I mean, lots of bombs going on in both those movies. Cut back to Zero. Oh, look at Senator on free <coughs> He looks so unhappy. Now get me as far away from Coruscant as possible now. And Bane says to Palpatine via hologram. Well, Mr. Chancellor, thanks to your calm leadership, the crisis is past. I got what I want, so I'll return your Senate and your Senators. Enjoy them, but don't try anything until the sun has set. Understand? Again, just movement, movement, movement here. IG oh. unit says to zero. We are to rendezvous back at the Senate building. What? No, 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 no. The outer rim, not the Senate, you stupid machine. Who's that I want to go to the Senate? Ugh. That looks good on paper, and in execution, it's actually, they were going for uber annoying, or... Mm-hmm. 
It's just a, maybe slightly too much. I think it's that one. Again, quick cuts. Back to Bane. We need to get to the landing platform. Is everything ready? Yep, yep. Turn on the field. And it's how lasers surround the hostages in kind of like a pentagram-looking shape. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> you fell in with that, terrorist. <laughs> if you move, we'll blow you up and summon the devil. <laughs> That's essentially what Bane says. If you so much as breathe on one of these lasers, the whole room will blow up. Senators, Jedi, I bid you all a most respectful farewell. Let's go. Guy, keep that courtesy if you're the, the big baddie. Oh, yeah. Respectful farewell. Don't want you to think ill of me <laughs> in the future. Padme goes immediately to help Anakin, and we see gunships that are descending with shock troopers, and they descend to the Senate building, and the soldiers jump out, break through Palpatine's window in his office. That office window might get broken out again in the future, which I just thought. All clear. Sir, are you all right? Yes, yes, I'm fine. Mission accomplished, sir. The Chancellor is safe. <sighs> well done, Trooper. We see Cad Bane step outside, and he is in the crosshairs of two dozen clones. And he's very confident. Palpatine says to him over a hologram, You were foolish to think you could get away with this, Bounty Hunter. Now lay down your arms and come quietly. No, Chancellor. I'm afraid it is you who have been foolish with your senator's lives. One false move, and the east wing of the Senate building goes up in smoke. Cut back. Please, Annie, wake up. You win, bounty hunter. Holster! Stand down. Well, I like that as a move. Mm-hmm. It's a standoff. Yeah, just an, uh, yeah, like, a, like a tactical standoff. Yeah. I have thought through this. Well, the the follow up episode to this is really interesting because they have a whole hearing about what happened, and they ha they put together a video presentation of it. And I believe Senator Freton Freton refused to watch it, like just sat like sketching on a pad of paper the entire time. Sat in the balcony. Yeah, it's like you were there. You should care about this. It's not in his political interest to pay attention. Oh yeah, no, not not even a little bit. <sighs> you know, I mean, what's the worst that could happen if somebody? seized power from constitutional norms that had been there for a thousand years. Oh, well, I wasn't alive in the 30s or 40s, so I guess nothing. <laughs> Can't think of anything. Well, we got there. We got there, Star Wars fan. <laughs> Befuddling. It's all felt like people who are protected by the system and can do whatever they want until... Until the rule, until until people realize they're actually breaking the rules, and then they change the rules to benefit themselves, and then when that doesn't work, they just lie. Yeah, like they're like the adult characters in a Roald Dahl novel. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, except in a Roald Dahl novel, they're they're very clearly wrong, and even right. children are able to be like, "Hey," but also children are able to beat them. So frustrating. <laughs> Yep. What are you looking so sad about? The bounty hunter said we should just sit here 
I think we should just sit here. Well, that's not a very good idea. <laughs> Zero's car pulls up to think about it. Come on. Let's get going. Too bad I don't have my lightsaber. But I do. You mean this? I found it where you dropped it. Now, quickly. We don't have much time. Cuts a hole in the floor to avoid returning the lasers. Well, that... It doesn't look like prison had to adverse an effect on you. You know what we need in this episode, Daniel? Some body shaming. <laughs> we... we... <laughs> I was going to say some apocalypse now. Oh, yeah. oh, you can't imagine the unspeakable things I've suffered. The horror. I doubt I'll ever really recover. Get that guy a mint dulep in a fainting couch, for God's sakes. <laughs> How about some dead senators as payback? Oof. Baden powers up the explosives. We see the detonators come to life. Remaining senators fall through the floor just before the bombs explode. To quote Maxwell Smart, missed it by that much. <laughs> Another daring rescue, Master Jedi. I do my best, Senator. Congratulations on a job well done, bounty hunter. Time to pay up, Hut. I don't work for free. Mm. And we cut to credits. One of the things I do like about the episode is everybody wins. Yeah, nobody loses. <laughs> it's not one of those where you gotta kill the bad guy at the end, you know? That's totally true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, no, nobody really... There's no loser. Zero got out of prison. Cad Bane, who we really like, uh, doesn't get dropped... 40 stories from Nakatomi Plaza and splat uh, on the ground. Lives to fight another day. <laughs> well, we're going to see more Cad Bane, apparently. Anakin gets his lover back. She gets, I, I suppose maybe Padme is the one that's losing, given our Anakin displeasure in, in this episode. Yeah, she gets to she gets to spend another day in a relationship with an <laughs> emotionally unstable uh, super douche. And good news, those guys always grow up. I mean, you just need to invest and love them better, serve them more, and well, they're going to turn around. Fortunately, uh, his mentor and the religion he's part of are all about that. So, yeah, I can't imagine what would go wrong. Well, last details. This is, uh, as I said before, it's part of an arc that begins with the episode season three, episode eight, and ends with uh, season three, episode nine. That episode eight is called Evil Plans. It has Cad Bane getting the plans to the Senate from a kidnapped R2-D2. And the last episode has Obi-Wan on the trail of Zero alongside fan favorite Quinlan Voss, who has a great, his uh, culmination of Asajj Ventress's story was going to get told in the Clone Wars. And mm. it was another one of the casualties or cutting room floor pieces, and they made it into a book. Oh, cool. Called Dark Disciple. Oh, that's a good title. It's a really good title. It ends up being the culmination of her story with, with, with this character that we meet at the end of this arc. It's also the case, it's worth watching this arc just for 
excellent hut underground imagery in action. A lot more, what would you call this? The the Cad Bane stuff is more dark. And yeah. the first episode is real interesting. I think I want to say it was Lucas's favorite. It was something like that. There's the droids. It's a C-3PO R2-D2 episode starting. And then it has some... Cad Bane trying to kidnap them to get that information. Yeah. Because if you ever want to see C-3PO tortured, there might be that scene. <laughs> but if you enjoy this character, there's a lot, a lot there. So, Well, hey, friends, it would mean the world to us if you take just two seconds right now and give us some stars on iTunes or simply share this on your social media. As with all podcasts, this one is only going to survive if you hype it with passion to friends who love a galaxy far, far away. Music is by John Williams, Samuel Kim, Ludwig Gorenson, and the great Kevin Kiner, who, by the way, we love. Oh, yeah. I, my estimation for Kiner grows every single episode and just not as well known as he should be. Yeah. Exceptional, exceptional music. He is bringing it and just, just such a treasure. Um, all the Star Wars material here is created by the phenomenal artists at Lucasfilm. And you can find all the links to all of our stuff at StarWarsBinge.com. And of course, you can always share your thoughts with us on the Twitter. He's Daniel Mothershed. Ain't you awful young and pretty to be a senator? <laughs> That's what I got for you. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> and I'm Jeff Cook. I bid you all a most respectful farewell. You want to know why I'm so polite, Daniel? Because this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Lovely.